Rural hospitals may be challenged with finances, resources, and staffing, but often provide just as great, if not better, quality care as their non-rural counterparts. From government regulations to safety standards, there's a lot to manage in order to give patients the best care possible. So how do rural hospitals tackle this challenge? With excellent training, agile teams, and quick action. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hotshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to Episode 3 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hotshire, President and CEO of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Director of Marketing and Development. Today we're going to be talking about quality and safety in rural hospitals. Rachel, this is something we focus on here a lot at Hillsdale, right? Absolutely. From measures like patient falls, hospital-acquired infections, and hand hygiene, we do a lot to keep our patients safe and give them the best quality care possible. And I remember when I interviewed for this job at Hillsdale Hospital, and I was blown away by our almost non-existent hospital-acquired infection rate and our hand hygiene compliance that outperforms some of the most well-known healthcare organizations in the country. Indeed. And today we're joined by Sam Watson, Senior Vice President of Field Engagement for the Michigan Health and Hospital Association. Welcome to Rural Health Rising, Sam. Thank you, JJ. Thank you, Rachel. It's delightful to be here. Sam, why don't we get started with you just telling us uh, a little bit about yourself? So I am uh, first and foremost a uh, husband and father of three young men and a lifelong Michigander, um, a, uh, currently working with the Michigan Health and Hospital Association, as you pointed to, but actually started my career in the hospital as a clinical laboratory scientist, and I'm just happy to be out of the basement of the lab and uh, out with their sunshine and windows. <laughs> it's good to be on the outside, isn't it? It is. So now that we've established who you are and what you do, let's start with why. We'll do this every episode of Rural Health Rising so we can get to know our guest just a little bit more. So Sam, what is your why? In other words, why do you do what you do? What motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Well, JJ, thank you for asking. You know, I've always been mission-driven and have always had the desire to wish to be of service to those in need. Um, as I mentioned, I entered the healthcare through the laboratory. And um, you know, in the lab, you're razor-focused on high quality. You know, the, the results that we generate are used to diagnose patients. They're used to treat patients. And so making sure that those results are as accurate as possible is of critical importance. And that really was my springboard into quality, first at the hospital, then um, ultimately the state and national efforts. Since coming to the MHA, I've continued to direct my efforts towards helping hospital leaders and clinicians achieve the highest standards in delivering high quality and safe care. And you know, I, I think to answer your last question of what gets me out of bed in the morning, it's, it's really the feeling that someone is celebrating a birthday, enjoying a holiday meal or just having time to spend with a person they love because of some small part of what I've done working with providers to make care better. That's great. So let's talk a little bit about your background too, because you shared with me that rural hospitals and rural healthcare is something pretty near and dear to your heart because you, of where you grew up, right? So tell us a little bit more about that. Absolutely. So I grew up in uh, northern lower Michigan, um, up near the Grayling area, very rural. In fact, I think our, our closest hospital um, was in Grayling, and that was almost uh, an hour from my house. And, and I, I'll never forget when I was um, just going into middle school, uh, 
my father had a grand mal seizure and it was really when his uh, epilepsy was uh, first uh, exposed. And, you know, as I think about that, and, and you can just imagine um, that was a really frightening experience. We were, you know, waiting for an ambulance, waiting to get him to a hospital. And I think about it, if, if it had been a stroke or a cardiac event, um, the results would have been devastating. And there are a lot of people that live in rural areas who don't have uh, the healthcare resources close to them. And the folks in your area in Hillsdale, they're very fortunate to be able to know they have high quality care um, just down the road from them. Now, you're really an expert in the area of quality and safety in healthcare, Sam. Uh, this is just as important in rural areas as it is everywhere else. So, give us a little background on quality and safety measures in the healthcare setting. Well, you're uh, pretty gracious with your terminology, JJ, but thank you. Um, you know, I, I reflect on uh, the management guru, Peter Drucker, once said, healthcare is the most complex human endeavor. Um, you know, we work in the same kind of high stakes, high risk environments as nuclear power plant operators. And that's what we refer to as a high reliability operation. Um, what we do in healthcare has to be, first and foremost, based on the evidence. Um, and we have to, at all times, keep in mind that the evidence is applicable but yet we have to understand the individual needs of the patient and how we apply that evidence. And so I often look to the, um, the guidance from the Institute of uh, Medicine's uh, great uh, tome on this, Crossing the Quality Chasm, where they refer to something called the STEEP model. That's safe, timely, effective, efficient, equitable, and patient-centered care. So it's S-T-E-E-P. And for those who love the uh, English language, I know it's a, uh, an abomination to say steep, but it is what it is. Um, but, but, you know, those six tenants are really the guidance. We have to be sure that what we're doing, first and foremost, is safe, not only for the patient, but for the people delivering care. That's why now with COVID, it's so important to make sure that our providers have the best equipment to make sure they're safe. You know, absolutely timely, and I spoke to that just moments ago, effective and efficient. You know, efficient is not only about saving dollars, it's about saving time. And if you have a patient who is in a time-sensitive situation, that's critical. Equitable, um, we have people who can't afford care, but we have to make sure they have the care they should receive. And then patient-centered. You know, it, it, the, the saying of nothing to me without me. And so um, we have to keep the patient at the center of all we do. Fantastic, Sam, and certainly shows the passion that you have uh, in the work that you've done. And, and I'm especially proud of uh, what you have been able to provide to Hillsdale Hospital in terms of service and uh, the opportunity to uh, give us guidance in these areas. So uh, how, how would you say that the ideals that you just spoke about play out differently in rural healthcare settings versus uh, suburban or urban areas, uh, or do they? You know, in, um, in the heart of it, there's no difference. A small hospital, a large hospital, can deliver the same quality of care. You know, there is a there's a scale and a resource difference. Certainly, um, you know, you're you're not doing heart transplants, but that person who may need the heart plant is going to rely on you, the day to day care that they're going to receive before and after that transplant. So, you know, it really is uh, uh, 
a matter of the skill and, and resources. And so when we think about, um, about how you, for example, measure quality, yes, it may take longer to get a sufficient number of cases to, to say you are or are not statistically better or, or um, improving based on your, um, your efforts. But you also have the ability to look closer and use something that is referred to as patient reported outcomes. You can talk to your patients. You can ask them, were you better off after you came in to see us? You know, if I'm having a joint replacement and my orthopod is putting me through prehabilitation, in other words, making me walk uh, 15 minutes every day before my uh, joint replacement, and you can then come back and directly reach out to me as a patient because I'm, you know, one of, of several, not one of thousands, to say, are you better? Are you able to achieve what you wanted to achieve based on this, this treatment? And so there are different ways that we can measure based on the size of the organization. But nonetheless, you can deliver the same level of quality regardless. So along those same lines of, you know, rural quality and safety versus suburban or urban, do you think there's an expectation or a perception among patients or even within the healthcare industry itself that smaller facilities provide lower quality care? You know, Rachel, this this truly can be a, a challenge. You know, I, I have worked with um, hospitals from literally the, the smallest critical access hospitals to the thousand bed hospitals. And, you know, there, there can be a perception that because of resources, a larger facility may provide better care. But in reality, um, you know, the 30 years I've been doing this work, uh, a smaller hospital um, can absolutely deliver on the quality of care. You know, I think about touring in um, the emergency departments of uh, small Northern Michigan hospitals during the time that we were doing our first work in stroke care, and they wheeled out their robot. They said, we can have direct connection to the best neurologist to deliver high quality stroke care. And the patient doesn't have to leave our emergency department. They don't have to be transferred, you know, an hour, two hours to get to a tertiary care center. And so, you know, I, I think the resource issue is becoming less and less because you can deliver real-time care through telemedicine. Um, the other thing that I would say with it, when it comes to the, the smaller hospital in regard to the delivery of, of care and, and is there a difference, um, the people who sit at your board run into those folks that are receiving care in the grocery store. And they can share your story. They can talk about what you are doing and how you're delivering care. So you can actually have a personal impact on people's perspectives in a way that a large organization cannot. Sam, what do you see as the advantages that rural hospitals and healthcare providers have when implementing quality and safety initiatives? So, JJ, I think, you know, to put it into manufacturing parlance, it would be time to market. So... You know, you, you say we want to improve a certain aspect of care. Let's say, you know, you may see an infection rate that is higher than you think it should be. You can bring your physicians and nurses, the, the folks on the ground together, take the evidence and implement the change much faster than a larger organization can. You don't have all the layers. It's a matter of um, here's the evidence. Let's do 
our rapid improvement cycles and let's just make this work. That's something a large hospital really does struggle with versus your situation. And JJ, we have some examples of that here at Hillsdale, right? I mean, you often tell the story of when we um, made adjustments to improve our hand hygiene compliance, right? Similar to what Sam is talking about. Can you share that story? Sure. And, and we have the uh, flexibility uh, to mobilize our team very quickly. And when I first started here, Rachel, nearly 11 years ago, you know, our hand washing uh, and hand hygiene for caregivers was not where I wanted it to be. And uh, I wanted to be literally leading in this area. And so we engaged a consultant, a good friend of mine, John Baker, uh, who will be on one of our future uh, podcasts. And uh, John is director of laboratories for Sparrow Hospital. And John uh, was a consultant for me, and he helped us quickly, uh, worked with our infection control officer, worked with me. Uh, The three of us got together in a room, and within literally one week, we had a program mapped out. And within three months, Rachel, we had turned our numbers to lead. Uh, We came from the lower percentiles to the top uh, and in the highest percentile ranking for hand washing and hand hygiene. And that just demonstrated that what resolve a small rural hospital could have, we don't have to go through 10 committees. We don't have to ask, you know, 17 people for permission. We implemented this within months and we saw results that are truly life-changing, you know, not spreading disease, walking into the patient's room, uh, having the conversation. We engaged in scripting. We moved the hand-washing stations to the patient's room. You know, we identified that part of the reason that the patient uh, had said that they didn't see our caregivers wash their hand is because we had hand-washing stations in the areas where patients could not see them. And so staff would wash their hands before walking in the room. So we implemented hand-washing stations in every patient room, and we began to turn these numbers very quickly. And and through our executive rounding and auditing, we determined we're at the 99th percentile uh, in hand hygiene. That's phenomenal. And I have to say, when I mentioned at the beginning that when I interviewed for this job and you shared that compliance, that 99 percentile with me, I was shocked because I have worked in uh, hospitals before. I worked in a rural hospital down in southern Indiana, and we were not in the 99th percentile, I can tell you that much. Um, And it is. It it makes a huge difference to patients. And thank goodness we did that years and years and years ago because what an impact that has now in the days of coronavirus, where that's one of our biggest defenses against a virus like this is our hand hygiene, not only, of course, in our hospitals, but also in our communities. And you know, Rachel, that Sam was behind all that? Did you know that Sam Watson, as he was advocating uh, from the Michigan Hospital Association, was working on quality initiatives, and John uh, Robertson, our chief quality officer, and uh, had an opportunity to meet with Sam and uh, MHA, and this became a focus of MHA, and they've looked at these kind of quality initiatives. They give us toolkits. They help us. So it's been a great partnership with MHA, and I've appreciated, you know, the leadership of Sam Watson, but it's that collaboration, you know, with our association and with rural health and our patients and our staff to make sure that these changes can be long-term, we can implement them quickly, and we can change lives. So, you know, Sam, it's it's easy for the little guys, quote-unquote, uh, to be overlooked and, and underestimated uh, in an industry with many large hospitals and healthcare systems all around me. Uh, what impact do you think rural hospitals and healthcare providers have in the industry as a whole? Well, JJ, you know, you just mentioned the collaboration that we've seen through the work of the MHA and the Keystone Center of the MHA. And you make me think of a story of um, a large academic medical center that uh, will go nameless, but reached out to a small hospital 
because during one of our, our conference calls, we were discussing at that point the implementation of um, the efforts around reducing central line associated bloodstream infections. And this large academic center was struggling getting their physicians on board. Meanwhile, this small hospital um, who had not a single employed physician, but all community physicians who would rotate through their, uh, their ICU, were able to get the physicians to come on board and agree on the use of a specific line kit that had all the components they needed to do the implementation uh, of the, uh, the improvement. The, uh, the <laughs> members of the Large Academic Medical Center actually went to visit this facility to understand how did you do this? How did you make it work? That, that's still, I think, in, you know, gosh, 15 years since that is still one of my favorite stories. The other um, that comes to mind was a, an intensivist who was really frustrated in his little hospital about uh, the, the line kit. You know, people would come up from the emergency department or one of the other patient care units um, come across the hall and raid the, the line kit. And um, to use a non-technical term, it looked like the attack of the rototiller people, you know, <laughs> stuff everywhere. They couldn't find it. And um, so this intensivist, being of a mind, went to Sears, bought a couple of toolboxes, brought them back, told the nursing staff, okay, we're going to put what we need for the lines in these toolboxes. When somebody comes from the emergency department, hand them the toolbox, wow. and then tell them to take it to central stores and get it refilled. Wow. But those kinds of learnings come from the collaboration that come from the, the, the um the the learn from one another and as i said earlier you know the smaller hospital you can just do it um you know your story about the hand hygiene is spot on we have the reason we have the motivation we now have the expertise and by the way from another lab guy and um we just made it happen so with that said, um, what kind of on the opposite side of what you just shared, what can rural hospitals learn from larger systems and facilities when it comes to quality and safety? You just gave us a great example of how larger systems and facilities have benefited from the learnings and the experiences of rural hospitals. What's the flip side of that? What can we learn from those larger systems and facilities? So, Rachel, you know, the, the larger facilities, they have the bandwidth to be able to test interventions. And I, I will actually, thinking about somebody just uh, up the road from you all, uh, University of Michigan, I worked closely with Dr. Sanjay Saint, um, who was uh, the person who, across both the VA and the University of Michigan, along with another physician, Dr. Muhammad Faki, who is at one of the large centers in Detroit. Um, they both had done a lot of work on the reduction of urinary catheter-associated infection which is very similar to hand hygiene. You know, it's that canary in the coal mine, um, very prevalent to have uh, urinary catheters placed in uh, acute care patients, and many see infection rates. They tested a number of concepts that we then scaled up and brought locally. So, you know, a local hospital, uh, you know, a small rural hospital could implement this change package without having to create it all themselves, without having to find all the evidence, do all the research. And it was essentially, you know, in a toolkit ready to go. 
um, what they had to do is just adapt it to their own local setting. So, Sam, today hospitals are dealing with something very different than what we've dealt with before in the COVID-19 era. And I would imagine that a lot of the quality and safety initiatives that the MHA has put into place and that hospitals across the country have put into place over the last 10, 15, 20 years are putting them in a better position to take care of COVID-19 patients now. So from your perspective, what are some of the biggest impacts that quality and safety initiatives and the work that's been going on before we got into a pandemic, how has that allowed hospitals and healthcare systems to better take care of and better treat patients in the middle of this historic crisis with COVID-19? Wow, that, that's, uh, that's a great perspective, a great question, Rachel, because I truly believe it's our experience with implementation that has made the difference. So we are hardwired now, at least in Michigan, to be able to take the information as it comes in and deploy it. You know, the, the MHA throughout this has had literally daily COVID-19 updates that we've sent out to our members. And within that, there's guidance on what to do around a whole myriad of topics associated with the pandemic. The hospitals have the structures now that they can take that information and deploy it in a rapid way. And, you know, I think, in large part, it's because we have focused through the past, what, nearly 20 years around improvement, about deploying evidence, about um, listening to what our patients' needs. Even things such as the use of iPads for a patient to be able to Zoom to their family because they couldn't come into the hospital to see them. You know, that technology is great, but you have to have a uh, an environment in which you're ready to deploy it to make it truly effective. So I, I think the, the work that we've done as an industry in Michigan around quality and safety has put us in a position that we were better able, even with all the, uh, the uh, things thrown at us to respond to this pandemic than we may have been otherwise. Sam, the last question that I have really want to focus on what relationship that an association would play with rural hospitals like ours. And so, you know, I'm very fortunate that we do have the opportunity to collaborate with the Michigan Hospital Association. And, you know, we've had the pleasure of our former president, Duke Anderson, serving on your board. Um, I serve on one of your committees and councils, and John Robertson, our chief quality officer, serves on one of those. And we have a lot of interaction with the MHA and are privileged to work with you in some of these important areas. And I just want to thank you for that. But, you know, could you explain to the listener, what does a hospital association do? Um, what is your focus? You know, wh- how do you exist? And, and what is the strength of that to hospitals, whether they're rural or large? Yeah, you know, that is a fantastic question, JJ, because I will tell you, the MHA is very fortunate, first and foremost, that we have membership from every single hospital in the state of Michigan. There are many associations around the state that, or the country rather, that cannot claim that. And what we see our role is really multifactorial. First and foremost, as a convener. We can bring our members together to address, be it a public policy issue, uh, an issue that's hitting um, you know, at a federal level. Um, 340B is one of those that come to mind as a, a 
good opportunity for us to have a singular voice, or as we've been talking about in the quality safety space, to learn together. The, the flip side of that is that you know one hospital can go to their, their legislator and raise a concern. But when you have an association, when you have the brotherhood and sisterhood behind you, you now have a force multiplier that's really a challenge to overcome. And so we can go en masse to um, the state, the federal uh, folks, and raise issues in a way that they can't ignore. Um, the, the other thing that I would say beyond that is internally, we are able to come together and do things before it's mandated. You know, you mentioned things like the hand hygiene work, um, you know, the, uh, the issues of infection prevention. You know, there are other states that mandates have been foisted upon um, the hospitals, largely, in fact, in the way of reporting. And I remember we were getting ready to testify before a congressional committee several years ago, and I had a hospital CEO with me. And we're standing in the green room before we go to the the session. And this fellow was in a wheelchair. He had been ravaged by um, uh, sepsis. And his state had just the year before required mandatory reporting of central line associated bloodstream uh, infections. And we hadn't. We actually, as a state, had nearly eradicated those infections. And this fellow, as he was talking with the CEO and myself, um, he says, you know, if I'd have been in Michigan, I probably wouldn't have been in this wheelchair. So the state mandate, the reporting, did nothing to help this man. And, and I, actually, I thought the CEO was with me was going to start, uh, start crying. I mean, he was just so overwhelmed by that. But it was because we as a state could come together under the umbrella of the association to do something that individually um, would have been really difficult to do. Wow. S Sam, where there's that story, there's a hundred more. Yeah, that gave me chills. That was yeah. really amazing. And the work that you've done uh, in your career with the MHA uh, is phenomenal. And I want to thank you for your leadership on the state level, as well as assisting us here at Hillsdale and other hospitals uh, around the state uh, as you strengthen healthcare and as we provide those services to our patients who need them the most. Now, Sam, on every episode, we feature a story from one of our patients. And today we have a story from Bill, a father and an active duty military personnel. Uh, he was injured and his shoulder was injured very badly. Uh, he was playing with his children and he ended up in our emergency department and he later had surgery. This is Bill's story. So I was actually, I was playing with my kids, playing tag, and I tripped and fell and landed on my shoulder. And as soon as I landed on it, I knew something was wrong. Dr. Patel was great on explaining what the surgery and what the risks were gonna be. The follow-up right after that, explaining how the surgery went was also great. So when you come into Hillsdale Hospital, the chances of you knowing a nurse or even knowing one of the doctors or one of the aides just gives you comfort. It was a great experience. 
You know, JJ, one of the cool things about Bill's story um, that, you know, I got to interview him for this segment. And one of the things he shared with me was that because he's active duty military, there was a lot of specific paperwork that his employer in the military needed um, during his time off when he was doing physical therapy after his surgery on his shoulder and all of that. And he shared how wonderful of an experience it was for the staff at Hillsdale Orthopedics to just no question asked, just say, yep, this is different paperwork than what we've had to do before. It's more paperwork, but they just helped him through that process and didn't have any pushback or any concern about like, oh, well, we don't fill this out or we don't do that for you. They really just went the extra mile to make sure that he had what he needed to get back into place to head back to work um, whenever he was healed. So really just an incredible story from Bill. Wow. Before we close, Sam, we would like to do a fun segment, as we do at the end of each of our show, uh, with most of our guests. So uh, we know you grew up in a rural area, not too far from here, but we want to know, what is your most unique rural experience or one of your favorite memories that is unique to rural life? So, J.J., before I answer, I want to thank Bill for his service to our country. Absolutely. And also, thank you all for being there when he needed you. Absolutely. Um, that's what our our hospitals are all about. Thank so, you. So, you know, growing up in Northern Woods, uh, I, I, there are so many experiences, and, and I, I capture it more in, you know, the, the beauty of the outdoors from watching fawns play, seeing black bear, um, or the uncluttered sky with stars so brilliant you can feel them. Um, what it did is gave me a lifetime experience and a desire to always live in that environment. And I lived in a rural, an urban area just briefly. And as soon as we could, my bride and I moved back to a small town. But I'll tell you, we spend our fun time um, doing adventure races in the Upper Peninsula where you don't have cell service. You don't see anybody except when you leave or end the race. And um, those experiences are, are something that I treasure deeply. That's awesome. Thank you so much for your story. Thank you for your service, and we appreciate your time. Thank you, JJ. Thank you, Rachel. I really enjoyed this. Thanks, Sam. And that concludes today's episode. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll talk about economic development in rural America and how it impacts rural health care. We know rural hospitals are often pillars of rural economies, so we'll get into that and a whole lot more. So be sure to tune into that episode. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering by Kenji Ulmer. Special thanks to today's guest, Sam Watson, Senior Vice President for Field Engagement with the Michigan Health and Hospital Association. For more interviews like this and more information, visit RuralHealthRising.com.